So we continue today um, the series called New. Um, again, next week we're going to have the Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge Choir. We have a few baptisms we're going to do next week. That's kind of all part of this series on becoming new. And then we're ending the series Easter Sunday with the greatest event in history, Jesus rising from the dead. Isn't it awesome that he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he himself raised to new life so that we, through the power of the Spirit, and when we belong to Christ, we can be new as well. So we're going to be celebrating that day, the newness that we have in Christ. This text that we've been in in this series, uh, coming up on the screen, we'll read that again. This is what Paul says toward the end of that uh, verse 16. He says, At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. And this is Paul. Remember, Paul persecuted Christians. Paul was basically a terrorist, and God confronts him, and Jesus confronts him, and his life is changed forever. And he did, and he puts himself in the midst of that. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we what? Know him now. It's not know about him, not have information about him, not have facts about him, but we know him. And that is the invitation to all of us is that we would know Christ. The invitation to relational intimacy with Christ that we would know him, not just know about him, not just say, well, yeah, that's the guy that did this. You know, there's many people that we maybe know about athletes or people that are musicians, people that we that, that we look up to or, or we, we, we're kind of impressed with their abilities and we maybe have facts about them, but we don't know them. If we were to walk up to them and just because we have all kinds of facts memorized about them and try to introduce ourselves, you know, or, or not introduce ourselves, but pretend that we know them, it would be a little awkward, wouldn't it? To almost act like we, we, we know them and we don't know them, we know about them. And Paul says this, how differently we know him now. Now that I know him, it is all different, it's all changed. And that's why he says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ belongs to know him and to belong to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. So he's, Paul gets the revelation of what it means to have new life in Jesus. Firstly, is knowing Him, and I, I talked about that. Second one is belonging to Him, knowing Him and belonging to Him. That means that He owns us. We give our lives to Him. We surrender our hearts to Him. We give Him ownership of our lives. And so we know Him in relationship, and we belong to Him, total, unconditional surrender. And that is what He's getting at in this passage of what it means to walk in newness of life. He said, this means anyone who belongs, if you know Him and belong to Him, that, those are huge keys of walking in newness of life. And so this, that's what this series has been about, the new life that we can have in Jesus, to believe God for a new heart, for a new life, a new attitude, a new mind, a new marriage, a new family, to have faith in Him that He can do the impossible, to maybe save that friend or that loved one that you thought maybe would never come to Christ, and I love Paul's story. That was one of the weeks we talked about his conversion story. And I think it's in the Word of God. And we have some of those powerful testimonies to point us to the reality that God can do the impossible. If God can save Paul, your friends and loved ones that you thought could never be saved, that's nothing for God. That's nothing for God. That we believe and have faith that through Christ he can do the impossible. And so last week we talked about how to practically walk it out. And it... And when we dealt with this, I'm not going to get too much into this this morning, but it boils down to this. It's death to ourselves. 
death to ourselves. Jesus says, if you want to be my father, if you want to be my disciple, you take up the cross every day. Paul reiterates that in a lot of scriptures that have newness of life, that we lay our lives down so that we can have true life in Christ. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And what does he say? It's not me that's living, it's Christ living in and through me. Christ living in and through me. That is the newness of life. And so it boils down to this idea of giving up our lives, laying down our lives to become new. So we want this new life, and Jesus is the only one that can give us new life. Today we want to take an honest look as something that we all go through as followers of Jesus, if you are walking with Christ, if you've given your life to Christ. We read the passage and we hear these, this idea of becoming new in Christ. We see the passage up on the screen and we go, I have a head knowledge of that somewhat. I, I, I get it. But we have those days where we don't feel so new, right? The newness of life. We remember conversion, the reminders of newness in life. We have those at times, but we all know that there are times and seasons where we don't feel new. In fact, if we're honest, we feel like sometimes the old life has kind of crept back in in some areas and is trying to take over again. How many have ever been there? Man, it's a, it's a fact. So what happens when you don't feel new? We have the passages, we see this, we kind of somewhat want to get excited about it, but the reality is that down deep in our heart, we don't feel new. Some real life things happen, and it affects us feeling new. Tiredness, busyness, burdened by something, burdened by a circumstances going on in your life. Maybe you're feeling burnout, apathetic, you feel spiritually dry. Just the normal stuff of life feels like it has taken over. Maybe guilt from the past. And you wrestle with, how could God forgive that? If you know what I, if you, if you knew what I've done, and there's shame that is attached with it. Maybe you feel unworthy. Not good enough. Or maybe those sinful habits that just seem to never go away. Some people wrestle, how could God really love me? So those old sins and patterns, and in theory we're new, but the old sins and patterns are right there, and then we have to deal with this stuff, and we stop feeling new. And then we ask the question, maybe I'm, am I really new or not? I'm in Christ, didn't I feel new all the time? In spite of our feelings, we have to listen to what God says about it. What are His promises to us? Do we really believe that His promises are true? Do we really believe who we are in Christ? Because feelings are legitimate, right? But they're not usually factual. A lot of times they're rooted in lies, and that's why when you know feelings are up and down and, and, and our emotions can be deceiving. 
you feel this way one minute and then you feel a different way the next minute and they're, they are legitimate, but they're usually not true. And so we have this wrestle, do we really believe who we are in Christ? And here's the reality, we're in a battle. We are in a battle. There, are, there is a spiritual battle going on all around us, and it's a battle for the hearts and the minds of people. There is a real enemy, and again, I'm not trying to glorify or bring a lot of attention to him, but it's, it's to realize that there is a real enemy, and there is a real struggle, and there is a real battle for our hearts and for our minds. The enemy does not want you to get this. The enemy does not want you to believe this. And so he battles us in the place of our mind and our hearts. He doesn't want us to know who we are in Christ. He doesn't want us to believe who we are in Jesus. And if you rewind all the way back to the garden, remember God creates Adam and Eve. And He has a plan and a purpose for them. And He gives them free will as He gives us free will. And the enemy comes to them and he asks this question. And, you know, so many people get kind of, again, kind of, Lost where you know that they ate the fruit, and you know, and then you get lost kind of apple, pear, what is the fruit, and was it, who cares what the fruit is? That this, this had everything to do with lordship and who is in control of the life. God said, Don't touch this tree, and then the enemy comes, and what does he do? He asked a question to them Did God really say this? And he calls God into question, and he begins the battle for their heart. He begins the battle. Did God really say, did God really mean that? And so we are in a battle. The, the spiritual warfare is very real. And so day in and day out, there's a battle for our, the hearts and our, our minds where God, where the enemy will, will, will question God. Did God really mean that? Did God really say that? Yeah, you read that. Did, did, did God really mean that you would, if you belong to Christ, you'd be a new creation? Did God really mean that? And there's this wrestle, and there's this battle that takes place in our hearts and our minds. It's the enemy of our souls, and the battle is real. Let's look at the next passage, because Paul, this person that had this conversion, he's the one that tells us that we're new creations in Christ, but he also tells us something else in Ephesians, and he'll be familiar with this passage, but he is saying there is a reality to the battle. That the enemy of our soul doesn't want us to walk in the newness of Christ. He's going to fight that. He doesn't want us to be raised with Jesus and be new. He wants us to be dictated by our past and our sins and our troubles and our flesh. He wants you to go by your feelings and not believe the truth at times. And here's what Paul says. Finally, be strong in who? Not pulling yourself by your own bootstraps. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of whose might? Isn't it amazing that we try to use our own might, though, all the time? Be strong in the Lord. Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Doesn't that sound like you're getting ready to go to battle? 
There is a reality to warfare. And people, well, I don't believe in spiritual war. Well, then you don't believe the Bible because it's real. And if you've walked with the Lord any amount of time and you understand those daily battles and the, the times where, you know, we can come in corporate gathering and we feel uplifted, but it's that Monday, Tuesday morning, that, you know, time where you're feeling, you know, burnt out, you're feeling a bit apathetic, you're feeling spiritually dry, you know really well that there is a battle going on for your heart. Paul says, put on this armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's scheming against you. And this is, again, not, I'm not trying to bring a lot of attention or glory to the enemy. It's to say there's a reality to it. There's a reality to the warfare. And Paul is telling us about that reality. And he says, there is a scheme that the enemy has against you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. So does the enemy. And a part of that is he wants you to believe lies. He wants you to trust your feelings. He wants you to give in to the past and the shame and those things, that those nagging things, and not believe the truth of who God is and who you are in Christ. Paul goes on. He says, for our struggle... Our struggle. We wrestle not in some translate to our struggle. We're in a struggle. The idea is grappling. It's wrestling. It's, you know, if you've ever, you know, even just grouping around, some wrestlers will know this because they have done it. But even wrestling is one of those things that's exhausting because you're continually struggling and you're pushing. So there's constant struggle and weight. And Paul is saying the spiritual walk is a lot like this. And this is not a downer. This is a reality. That when you get in those moments and you're tired, Believe the truth of who God is and who you are in Christ. And understand that it is a reality, but I'm not, I don't have to be dictated by that. We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against who? Rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So that's who your battle is there. It's scheming against you, it is after you, and it, the enemy does not want you to be new or to know that you're new or to know who you are in Christ. And that is the daily battle that we face. So the struggle is real, but we don't win the struggle by being strong in ourselves, but strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And we need to be reminded today that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against people. That's one of the schemes of the enemy is he tries to make it about people. What someone did to you. Now, it was bad, and again, that was real. Whether if you were hurt or abused, I'm not trying to minimize that, but your battle is not against them. Especially later on when you have a struggle forgiving and moving on and you uh, seem to go back to maybe a time of your life or a, a moment in your life where you are hurt and the hurt was real. And the enemy wants you to be dictated by it to not forgive and to live back there. And that's why Paul's saying you need to be encouraged. It's not against blood. It's not against people. We make it about people. We make it about people, and we are offended by people. We don't like certain people, and they grade us the wrong way. Or we have, and the enemy tries to make it about people. And then what happens is you get over here and you start fighting in the flesh and blood realm. That you start slandering people, you start gossiping about people, and you, what you have done is you've made the battle about people instead of realizing and recognizing that it's spiritual darkness that's trying to infect your heart. Because when you begin to fight the right way, you begin to pray for those people. That's why Jesus said that you pray for those who spitefully use you. 
Not just pray for your friends, but pray for your enemies and those who spitefully use you. In other words, they're using you, and they know they're using you, and they're spitefully using you, and you have realized that my battle's not against them, and so I'm going to pray for them instead of talking about them. Because then they become the focus of your mind, and every time they come around, you're infected, and then instead of dealing with it with God, you're over here talking about them. And you proliferate this in your heart, and you've made the battle, and that's exactly the scheme of the enemy. Because I got you right where I want you. Keep focusing on people. Battle for our hearts. Walking in the newness of life is against the enemy of the devil. We are in a battle. Let's look at what else Paul says. Another warfare passage. If you, he's already said in Ephesians. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians. For though, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So again, he's reiterating that it's not about people. We're not waging war the way the world does. Our battle's not against the government. Our battle's not against our enemy. Flesh and blood enemy. The, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. When you understand the battle and you start fighting the right way, we have weapons in our arsenal to demolish strongholds in our lives. Sinful things. And then he says, we demolish. I love that word. We don't just tolerate it. We don't just move it to the side. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself above the knowledge of God. And we take captive another warfare. Every what? Thought to the obedience of Christ. I have this thing going on in my mind. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to take it captive. I'm not going to sit there and entertain it. I'm not going to start talking to other people about it and about that person, but I'm going to demolish it. I'm going to take those things captive to the obedience of Christ. And you'll have to do that every day. And we will be ready, he says, to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You see what happens? He says, I take those what captive? Thoughts. In your thoughts, there's a seed. That's where the enemy plants the seed. That's where the warfare begins. You're worthless. You're going to struggle with that all the time. You're never going to get free from that. This is who you are. You're always going to be this. And he tries to label it as a seed of thought. Or he constantly reminds you of that person that irritates you. So don't pray for them. That's your enemy. It's a seed. It's a thought. And so we have to take those thoughts captive. Guilt, shame, condemnation, those things are there. They're waged in the mind. There's a battle going on for our minds, and it begins there. It's a seed and a thought. Romans 12, what does Paul say? He says, be transformed. That's made new. The idea that it's metamorphosis, you know, the the, uh, the, the the little the little worm that becomes a butterfly and it goes into the cocoon, the metamorphosis that's changed, it's going to be different. And what is false is you become new. You are transformed by the renewing of your what? What will you believe? When the seeds come in, what will you believe? So the battle for our hearts and our souls is rooted in the mind, what we think about, what we dwell on, what we ruminate on. 
So that's where the enemy puts those seeds of guilt and condemnation. Ephesians, there's a real battle. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Second Corinthians, there's a real battle. But the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. They are mighty through God. And then look at, I, I love this passage. Again, Paul, here's Romans, the reality of the battle. Let's look at this. He says this, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what, right, what is right, and, and inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my what? See where he's going with this? The power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. But he doesn't stay there. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Great question. Let's look at verse 25. Thank God. The answer is in who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Some people have looked at this and they said, well, you know, Paul is admitting how miserable he is, but he doesn't stay there. This is not an act of self-condemnation. Here's what he's saying. If I just lived in my own power, in my own strength, in my own goodness, and I just tried to yank myself up by my own bootstraps, I realize how miserable I am. He's saying what Isaiah said, that he said, our righteousness is a filthy rat. Our, our very best is not that great. And it falls miserably short. But he says, who can save me by this life that's dominated by sin? That thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So then he goes, you see how it is? In my what? Come on, I'm going to need some help now. In my mind, so this battle of the mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation. He moves right into the chapter 8. When Paul was writing this, he didn't say, now chapter 8. This is just a breakdown for us. This is all one letter. So he's saying, I'm wrestling. I'm struggling. I realize the struggle. It's very real. The battle is real. The battle is against spiritual wickedness that's trying to take my heart out, trying to remove my identity. Who can save me from this life that's dominated by sin? And thank God it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And the answer is Jesus. He said, because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What's the word there? Belong. What did he say in 2 Corinthians 5? If you belong to Christ, you are a new creation. Isn't that awesome? When you belong to Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation when you are His. That's that ownership. When you surrendered your life to Christ, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter the, the apathy that you might be feeling, the spiritual dryness. You can get up and say, because I belong to Jesus, I am not condemned. Thank you, Doctor. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to Him, Listen to what he says. Because you belong to the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Not by your own power. In these passages, Paul is saying there is a real battle for your soul. There is a real battle. There is a real enemy. It is the devil. He hates you. He's scheming against you. He's got devices and plans against you. And you need to realize that. Don't live in fear of it. But you need to understand as you're walking day to day to recognize when I'm feeling 
dry and I'm feeling guilty or I'm feeling all of a sudden there's that thought of something I did 20 years ago and I'm like, I thought that I had dealt with that and there it is again, you need to recognize this is the enemy trying to plant that seed again to have you revisit that. And you say, in spite of how I'm feeling today, in spite of what I might be struggling with today, I believe that because I belong to Christ, I am not condemned by that any longer. Don't try to bring that back to me again. So he revealed that he struggled. Paul himself struggled. Can you imagine his struggle? Watching Christians die that he had been rounding up. Watching Stephen get stoned to death that he watched. Can you imagine some of the seeds that came to his mind at times? Where the enemy goes, do you remember that? Do you think God loves you? Do you think God really forgives you for that? All those people, men, women, children that you rounded up, that you sent to prison, that you watched some of them die. You really think God, and you can see at times when he's struggling because of what he had done. So he struggled, and we all have those struggles in some way, shape, or form. What do we do with them? We have to put our hope and our trust and our confidence in the only one who can free us from a life that's dominated by sin and death, Jesus Christ. And when I do that, there's no condemnation. And His Holy Spirit comes in me power and it frees me from it. It helps me to walk free. But again, this is belonging to Him every day. We're going to get into that. So here's three things that help us to become new. Three truths. Here's truth number one. In Jesus, we are forgiven from, from our past. And I know that's an obvious statement, but I, there are a lot of people that wrestle with this. You know it here a little bit, but it's not been transformed in your mind to affect your heart and your life. But you really need to believe this, that it's true that in Jesus we are forgiven from our past. Look at this passage from Ephesians 1. Here's Paul again writing. In Him, who? Jesus. We have redemption through His blood, His sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that He what lavished on us. So in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, His sacrifice. That His sacrifice was enough for you and for me. It is the only thing that can give us new life, is that we put our hope and our trust in that fact that he died, but he didn't stay dead. He died for my sin, but he raised a new life so that I can have a new life. But we have redemption through his blood and his sacrifice, his work on the cross, not our own goodness. And I like what Paul says. He said, this was done in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Don't you love the word lavish? That's a great word. It means to give in great amounts. It, the, the idea is to give profusely, over and over and over. It's like, have you ever had that birthday or that Christmas or a time when you got a gift and you thought the presents were over and they kept coming out? That's a happy day. Parents, don't we love it when we have a surprise for our kids? Or maybe it happened to you when you were a kid where there was that, you know, big gift or a couple of big gifts that you kept off to the side and you make it look like that, uh, you know, the, the, the gift giving is over. I don't know why parents, but we love to do the torture our kids like that, but we like to surprise them 
And like, you know, it's over. And then, then you send them, like, I think there was maybe one more thing, though. It was maybe that thing that they were really hoping for, and they're trying not to act disappointed. You know, they kind of got that half hot friend, like, yeah, Christmas is great. And they're thinking in their mind, I told you 1,500 times what I wanted. And you go, well, yeah, I think, you know, we did that with our kids, you know, at times. And you go, yeah, I think I remember there was one more thing. And, Come here, let me show you something. And, you know, you do, and, and, and just the, the look on their face, and uh, some people have it, you know, on video and, and or pictures, and they're just like, you know, and, and it's the idea of lavishing. You thought it was over, but here comes more. I remember, I can't remember, I was at a birthday or Christmas, probably for my birthday, because my birthday used to be the lamest gift because it's two weeks from Christmas. And mom, we go, oh, you know, you know, we didn't want to, you know, we don't want to give you all the good stuff. Your Christmas is coming. I'm like, it's lame. I don't want them to wear a t-shirt. So, I, you know, you can give me that in the other team. Thanks for it, but, you know, I was probably ungrateful. But if you can, you, you, your children will be 80. You still know what I'm talking about. There was a, I wanted a boom box. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. There's one in particular that it's about this long. And all the young people are laughing because the boombox is now at two inches. That's a boombox now, and you can stick it in your pocket. But that was, that's not cool. You stick it in your pocket. It's a big boombox you could walk around with, you know? It's like it would knock you off. You know, it was so heavy you were, you were doing that. There was this boombox that I wanted, and, uh, you know, my mom and dad worked very hard. They didn't have a lot of money, and I knew, you know, I, I knew that they, you know, you know, probably couldn't afford stuff like that because they're, you know, when they first came out, and this one, this one was the kind of the new generation where they started putting CD players in them. Come on. And then the little kids are going, what's a CD? And I thought, you know, I thought the whole, like, what is it? You know, when people, they didn't know what a tape was. Some people remember the A-Tracks. Any A-Track people? Maybe you had to listen to the whole album. You couldn't rewind that thing. Later on, they, you, know, you had to listen to the whole thing. Come around. You couldn't just go back. But I, this boombox that had a, a CD player in it, and it was like, you know, that was the thing, man. It was, it was very cool. I had to take that and a CD player to do both. And, you know, the gift giving was done, and, uh, and, and my dad's like, I think we have, you know, I learned it from him. I think we have one more thing, I, I thought, and uh, he comes up and brings this in. I knew exactly, when I saw the box, I knew exactly what it was. My boombox. And it felt like the feeling. But here's the thing, I understood also because my folks, they worked very hard, and they, you know, they, they couldn't afford stuff like that a lot of times, and so I knew the price that went into getting me this. And it made it so much more valuable to me that they would make that sacrifice to do that. My dad instilled in me a, a great work ethic, though. I mean, he was so wise. Dad, take this advice if you want to. I remember I would beg him for these new tennis players. I tennis player, and there's this specific pair of tennis shoes that I wanted so bad. He's like, I got a way to get those sneakers for you. I'm like, beautiful. I thought, you know, he can maybe mow the lawn. He's going to buy these sneakers for me. So he gets him, wakes me up at, I mean, I, can't, I couldn't believe it. Eight o'clock on a Saturday morning. It's ridiculous. I didn't even know the world existed at eight o'clock on Saturday morning. He says, wake up and put some nice clothes on. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? I'm putting nice clothes on. And he says, uh, get in the car. So I look decently. Three places you'd like to work. I'm going to help you get those tennis shoes. That's free advice for all you dads out there, moms. So my dad did die and still, you know, now all of a sudden I was looking for those shoes on the sale. Changes everything. 
this whole idea of lavishing, we love to lavish, God loves to lavish on you. Paul writes that, he says that it's not just that he tolerates us, but he lavishes his grace on us. That it's over that when you thought, God, that is so amazing. Thank you for the gift of life and thank you for the cross. And he says, every day I want to lavish my love on you and lavish my grace on you. I knew you blew it yesterday, but come back to me again. Run back to me again and I'm going to lavish that grace on you again and again and again. And it's overwhelming. Especially when you understand the price that was paid to lavish that upon you. Help that remind you of God's love for you. The forgiveness of sins. The greatest gift that we could receive. And so Paul said, you know, if you surrendered your life to Christ, when you belong to him, you turned from your sin, and you made him Lord and Savior of your life, the sins of your past are forgiven. They're done. They're gone. They're no longer held against you. You are free in spite of your feelings of guilt, shame, or unworthiness. You may not feel forgiven at times, but God promised to us that we are forgiven in Christ. Now, as I said last week, this does not mean that we willfully continue in sin because of God's grace. Remember what Paul, we, we talked about that last week. He said, some would ask, you know, well, then should we sin more so that we can have more grace? He said, absolutely not. That's not what I'm talking about. Grace isn't cheap. It's not permission for you to do whatever you want to do. Don't take God's grace for granted. Don't treat God's grace with contempt. And so it's not a permission to willfully sin. But if we understand His gift of love, if we understand His sacrifice to drive us to the place that we don't want to sin, that we want to please His heart, that when we blow it, we, we repent quickly, but we run to Him quickly, and we don't justify it, and we come back to Him again and again. Truth number two. When we belong to Him, Jesus heals our hurt and our brokenness. So, fighting against these things that, that prevent us from knowing that we're new. In, when we belong to Him, Jesus heals our hurt and our brokenness. I love Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the broken heart. If you've ever endured hurt or brokenness, He's close to you, even when you don't feel Him. He rescues those whose fears are corrupt. And then in Isaiah 61, later on, Jesus in Luke 4 quotes this passage about himself. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, on Jesus, because the Lord is on me to proclaim good news and forth. He has sent me to what? Bind up the brokenhearted. You know, when you're binding up a wound and when you're treating a wound, there's something very tender, very close that's going on. When a kid falls and scrapes their knee, who do they want? Mom. They don't want dad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, put some dirt on it. That'll be fun. Um, walk it off. I can't walk. We just won't walk it off anyway. Um, something nurturing about a mom when they bind up a wound that there's this tender, you know, they're all, you know, they're putting in, they're cleaning it up. And the idea here is the tenderness of Christ that He's close to you when you have endured pain. Some have endured a lot of pain from the past, and, and, and that tries to dictate you from feeling new hurt, abuses, rejection, betrayal, broken trust. The wounds went deep and, 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 and that's your continual battle is to believe that you're new in Christ. 
the enemy again those seeds the warfare as he tries to help you revisit that over and over again and it just makes me get frustrated and you feel like you know I I already dealt with that and here it is again have you ever dealt with that have you ever gone through that I understand that I've been there and it'll be like a reopening of the wound the enemy tries to do that and Jesus wants to heal our hurt he wants to bind up our broken hearts but we have to let him into those places that are so guarded because some of us become so guarded we won't and, and, and in this kind of self-reliance and kind of this self-strength we say we're never going to open that place up again and we're going to guard against and all of a sudden they're not very trusting and they're more suspicious and, and they kind of get this and they look strong but underneath they're very weak they're hurting. Nurse it. They're trying to nurse it themselves. I'm fine. It'll be okay. I'm good. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I'm fine. And you know, and they know, they're not really fine. Because those unchecked hurts lead to bitterness, maybe justifying not forgiving someone, maybe being critical or judgmental. And so we have this false sense of strength, and it looks like we're guarding it, but it isn't getting healed. When I was in the eighth grade, this was a different time I broke my arm. I broke my arm, I broke my arm pretty badly three times. Um, no, four times. Um, I was kind of a, an adventurous kid, and uh, yeah, the first time I did was in kindergarten. Normal kids swing on the swing set. I was swimming across the top. That's the kind of stuff I like to do. I, you know, swings were, you know, that's, that's fun. But let's crawl across the top, and I fell off and broke my wrist. Uh, the second grade I broke my wrist, that was when Pete Rose was very famous. Um, they had to slide, remember that? So all the kids were trying it. We were playing kickball. And second base was a cinder block. And so I'm going to do a Pete Rose slide into second base, and uh, the wrist that I had already broken as a kindergartner, I jammed into that cinder block and broke it again. I told you about the fourth time when I was reading over my friend and broke my arm in, in, as a junior high school. The worst one was in the eighth grade. I had to have surgery on it, and I had to wear a cast for a really, really long time. Well, here's what I would do. Is I would, my, my dad was a dorm supervisor at, 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 a, at a men's dorm at the University of Tennessee. I would come from the fourth floor. I would go one down, one la- I would go one down to the landing, turn around, and I would jump from the landing and grab the rail up on the fourth floor and my legs would just swing and then I would drop. I just I'd jump over a flight of stairs and grab onto a wrought iron thing. My legs would swing and almost hit the light that was up on her. I did that for fun. Um, I did that so many times I just went down. Well, one one day I hit it and my left hand was the grip, so I fall straight down like this. You know what I'm talking about? My wrist is underneath me. So I had to wear this cast for a really long time. But after a while, the cast became kind of a friend because, you know, every once in a while you'd be reminded that the bone was broken in there, you'd bump it and it would hurt. I remember the doctor here, this older gentleman that was right before retirement, and he took the cast off and he just starts pushing on my ribs. That hurt? Yes, it hurts. You know, and, and he said, here's how you rehab it. You start using it. Start using it again. It'll hurt, but you, 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 and he told me that your muscles are absolutely 
as much as I want to keep that cast on to keep the pain away and keep it guarded, that's strength is being drained from it, and 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 then it takes it off, and I have to start using it again. And a lot of people are like that; they 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 have this cast over that place and that hurt and that wound. And it feels very comfortable to keep it there. But Jesus is saying, you need, to, you need to love again. You need to forgive again. You need to let me into that place again. I know it's sore. I know it hurts. But you got to start using it again because atrophy has set in. Apathy has set in. Hurt has this, will, will set in. And, and, and you will be dysfunctional for the rest of your life if you don't let me in and feel that place. And so when we allow Jesus to heal those places, He redeems those places to heal others. And I talked about that in the second series. But nothing's wasted in Him. But the enemy will try to help you revisit those hurts and have to live by them. Truth number three. Humility, honesty, and repentance help me stay new. Why is it that people who call on the name of Jesus as believers as Christians, they continually deal with sinful habits and can't seem to get free. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you're here today and you're, that, that describes you. They believe they're forgiven and, and even maybe that God can heal their hurts, but they seem to, they can't break free from sinful habits. What are those sinful habits? How do we define them? Here's some, here's some things to help us maybe do an inventory of those sinful habits. Here's questions. What do you run to outside of Christ that soothes you? It can be a number of things. What do you go to for comfort? What do you go to that ministers to you outside of Christ that it may be a temporary ministry to your heart? It helps you in your time of hurt and need. Some people run after addictive things, alcohol, drugs, maybe it's images on the internet, maybe it's food, maybe it's recreation, maybe it's bitterness, maybe it's different things that you justify in your own heart and you're brought back in the, the battle, you, you make the battle about a person and you revisit that and you kind of justify this angry feeling that you get because of so-and-so, but you go to it because it ministers to you. You gravitate towards that instead of Jesus and His Word. Because sometimes, and I've been there, I'm, I'm preaching as much to myself as anyone that sometimes with Christ follower, He seems to be low on our priority when we're going through battles. And we tend to run to those other things. We don't pray. We don't read the Word. We don't go to church. We don't connect with others in the body of Christ. And we wonder sometimes why we're dealing with those things. And the enemy is there to continually help us find other things other than Christ to run to. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. We're going to look at this passage. What does he say? With, the, with whose authority? With the Lord's authority, I say this. And so he is preaching hard to the Ephesian church here and to us. There are times when he's saying, you know, and, and, and it's all inspired of God, and, but there are times when there's an emphatic, uh, you know, an emphatic statement that's leading up here, and he says, with the Lord's authority, I'm saying this to you. 
live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, he's preaching to believers. He's preaching to Christ followers. He's not preaching to unbelievers. And things have crept into the church and things have happened. He says, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are helpless, uh, hopelessly confused. Their what is full of darkness. Remember that? We're going back to the battleground. Their minds are full of darkness. They, what do they, wander from the life God gives. And so what does he say? They've understood the life God gives. They've understood the newness of life that God wants to give, but what are they doing from it? They're wandering from it, and they're walking over here, and they go to those things that maybe soothe them and give them temporary relief. And he said, they wander from the life that God gives because they have closed their what? Their minds, and they've hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But then He brings it back. He said, that's not what you learned about Jesus. He's bringing them back. Remember what we learned about Jesus. Let me remind you again what we learned about Jesus, the newness that we have in Christ Jesus, the life that He offered. Verse 21, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, what does He say? Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Does He say tolerate it? Does He say you know, just kind of push it to the side. Just throw it off. Be violent with it. Be intentional getting rid of it. He said, we're just corrupted by lust and what? Deception. Your feelings are real, but it's deception. It's lies. And the way we believe lies is we wander from the life that God gives us. He said, instead, let the Spirit renew your what? Your thoughts. Then it affects your attitudes. And then so he says, put off this. Now put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Put on your new nature. He's, what Paul is saying is Jesus, so he wants to make us new. He wants to remind us that we're new in him. And I know that sometimes the battle is real and you don't feel new, but believe the truth of who God said you are and who you are in Jesus. Stop wandering from the very source that can help you, truly help you. Don't wander over to the things that temporarily soothe and minister to you. They are old, lustful, sinful habits that will leave you feeling empty again. Run back to God. Come back to Jesus. And so they have wandered from God. They were living for lustful pleasures instead of running to Him. And so He's saying, throw it off. Don't excuse it or justify it. Humble yourself before Jesus every day. Be honest with Him and where you are. Repent and say, eradicate the sin. Throw it off. Here's what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if your right hand offends you, do what? Cut it off. If your right eye offends you, what? Gouge it out. He's not saying really physically do that to yourself. Please don't get the mixed signal. Jesus is saying, be intentional to eradicate the sin in your life. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. And that sometimes it takes me to humble myself. Realizing I can't help myself. It's maybe asking for help. It's maybe putting in, uh, putting guard in the places where I'm saying, I can't do this on my own. I need help. That means maybe going to that counselor that you've been putting off and saying, I need to go get help. Christian counselor, godly people that will point me to Jesus. Not just secular people that will give you psychobabble. 
not saying none of it is profitable. Maybe some of it is. Somebody needs to help you realize that there's a spiritual battle in place too. But to do whatever it takes, that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can have the strength to eradicate the sin in my life and to repent and humble myself again. It takes humility. It takes intentionality. It takes repentance to throw off those things. Don't excuse it. Jesus says, don't play around with it. Cut it out. Cut it off. Get serious with it. Because we are at times corrupted by the lust and deception of lives. The enemy will try to define you with it. This is how you will be forever. You will struggle with this forever. Not so with Jesus. He said, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitude. Put on the new nature. But you have to be intentional about doing it. Be honest. Be humble. Repent every day. You were created to be like Jesus. So how do you put on the new nature? You believe what God says about you in spite of your feelings. That's why we need the Word of God so much. You believe what God says about you. You feed on His Word and you feed on His presence, whether you feel like it or not. That even when the battle is intense and you're feeling overwhelmed by shame, guilt, pain, you're walking in a struggle, you're feeling apathetic, I will believe what God says about me. I just, uh, the other day, in preparing for this, I heard a testimony of a pastor. He viewed his first images of pornography when he was eight years old. And it infected in his mind and he got in there and he struggled with it most of his life. Well, he went to school, became a pastor, would then start struggling with pornography again. He actually resigned his position as a pastor. Because he said, I, 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 I'm, just, I, this is, I'm just struggling here. And I continue to go back. And he was so, you know, upset with himself. I felt like I should be free from this. But those old things kind of came back and he kind of got into a rut again, got apathetic again. And he started working at this lumber yard and he just took a step away from pastoring and he started working at this lumber yard where he'd start work at 6 o'clock. He would have his quiet time in his truck and he said, I just begin to get intentional because he said, I felt dry, I felt spiritually dry. But he said, what I did is he said, I wrote down every passage that says who I am in Christ. He said, every morning I would pull up for work. I had started work at 6. I would be in my truck in the parking lot at 5 o'clock. And he said, I would pray these scriptures. He said, some days, it's not like that you felt it. It felt like, you know, this is great. Some days it was hard work, but you said, I would just sit there in Christ, I am an overcomer. In Christ, I am more than a conqueror. I am seated in heavenly places because of Jesus, not because of me. I am strong in the power of His might, not my own might. And He began to just do this 190 days, day in, day out begin to transform his mind. I'm going to do it. In spite of my feelings, this is who I am in Christ. This is who my Savior is. This is who my Jesus is. This is who I belong to. He has set me free. I am not dictated by the pain of the past. I am not dictated by the wounds of the past, the pornography of the past, the sins of the past. And he just continued to remind himself, here's who I am. Here's who I am. And now he's a pastor again. God has redeemed and put him back in the place of ministry. 
so we feed on God's Word in relationship. Again, I'm not talking about just words. You do it in relationship, knowing God loves you, but there will be the battle of your feelings, there will be a battle of feeling like it. You know, if we just went by what we felt like doing, we would probably not ever do much. But just getting up and saying, God, I know who you are, and I know who I am in you, and I belong to you because you love me. You lavish love on me. Your grace is lavished on me. Your mercy is lavished on me. And I want to walk with you today, and I'm going to belong to you every day, and I'm going to repent and humble myself before you every day, because the realization is that I desperately need you. I can't do this on my own in my own strength. Because by the power of the Spirit, by the power of the Word, my mind begins to be renewed day after day after day. When we run to Him and we repent, He forgives us again and He lavishes Don't feel guilty. Come back to me. I lavish my grace upon you. You thought the gifts were over? There's more where that came from. It's not permission to go do what you want, but I'll lavish my love and my grace on you. Receive the lavishing grace and love of Jesus today and be made new by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of His Word. Will you stand with me? Lord, we give you our hearts today. We give you our minds. We give you, God, our battle. Lord, we understand that there is a real battle, that there is a struggle that we face. But, Lord, in you we can be victorious. Lord, I pray, God, you would remind us of who we are in you, God. Thank you for that passage that says, when Repent, therefore, in times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And that when we get honest with you, Lord, that you refresh us with the newness of life. God, help us to realize our need of you, that we are not strong in and of ourselves. God, maybe we be reminded that we are more than conquerors because of Jesus. That we are overcomers because of Jesus. That we are seated in heavenly places because of Jesus. That we are free indeed because of Jesus. God, we love you today, and I pray, God, that we would walk out of here believing who you say we are, believing that we are new in Christ, and walking with you and belonging with you every day. And God, help us to receive your lavishing love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God.